I'm saving to hopefully retire early, but while I'm young, I feel like I'm missing many opportunities to make memories. Are you a millennial, Gen Xer, or a young boomer? Do you want to learn more about financial independence? Are you contemplating or already in early retirement? The Phi Lighter podcast highlights, or as we like to say, Phi Lights, issues around your financial independence. Join the community as we explore millennial boomer relationships and pass the best lessons down to next-gen Phi millennials. We will talk about FIRE from FU money to early retirement. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Phi Lighter podcast with Lambo. I'm the creator and host of the Phi Lighter podcast and the PhiLighter.com website and media hub. My goal is to fill these podcasts with interesting content to build your confidence and competence in making personal finance and lifestyle decisions. In segment one today, we'll discuss volatility and diversification, specifically within equities. Then in segment two of today's show, we'll be taking some listener questions and have a little surprise for you. Let's get into segment one with some general phylighter perspective and news. can't help but repeat the quote you've heard in every episode up to this point. If you're not in, you can't win. Some new highs were posted Friday in the equity markets, and they continue into this week. Were you in? Remember, the market goes both ways on any given day. But nonetheless, while it may be a bad habit to pull up your accounts online and see how good they look, I couldn't help it. Isn't it funny how psychologically you get attached to the high point of your investments and you see yourself as down from that point, even though that point was just a measure at that spot in time, not necessarily how much you invested. Routinely, you might look at a high on a Friday and then Monday's volatility gives up that gain. Remember, for your retirement funds, we have a long view. And when you zoom out, and look at the long term, up and to the right happens, even if there's some sawtooth lines in between. This past March, I was eight months into early retirement, and suddenly our investments were down 30% from the year-end level. I had etched that high watermark in my mind, and now I had lost almost a third of what I thought was our financial security. Did I ever really lose it? No. I still own the same shares that had the higher valuation. And fortunately, we held fast to our investment policy. That policy had been pressure tested and proven itself back in 2008 and allowed the market to do what it does, go down and then come back up. Personally, as of Friday, we were still down single digits from the pre-COVID highs. Why is that? With so much recovery, well, in one word, diversification. While we were well diversified, we had overweight holdings in the energy industry. After the COVID economic slowdown, what happened in the energy industry? Well, if you bought a tank of gas lately, you probably know. I paid $1.41 a gallon for gas at Bucky's this past Friday. I can assure you oil and gas companies are not printing many profits at the current demand levels. I spent nearly two decades working in the energy industry. I succumbed to what many of you have in your careers, the thought that you know more about the industry that employs you than any other, 
So naturally, you have insight on what companies in that industry are better run and have more profitable business strategies, or perhaps they might even be undervalued, in your opinion, that is, and potentially have higher upside potential than the general market. After getting a few of those individual stock investments really wrong, I only partially learned the lessons. I pivoted and decided I'd continue to hold energy stocks. However, I would only buy the top-tier companies in their respective markets. When you think of top-tier in energy, what comes to mind? ExxonMobil, right? Well, I bought quite a bit of that one along with Shell and ConocoPhillips, Chevron, and even worse, some of the drilling companies. Back in 2014, ExxonMobil was over $100 a share. As of today, it's less than $38 a share. That's a 62% drop. Just think, it's only got to go up 263% to get back to those $100 highs. While I hate to think about the 62% drop, at least I can look at my historical cost closer to $70. Then it doesn't feel quite as bad. At $38 a share, I'm only down 46%. If I kept trading like this, I'd be looking for another W-2 job pretty quick. Fortunately, I began to de-risk much of our portfolio. Even selling some of the Exxon stock late 2019 and putting those funds elsewhere. How do you take risk out of your investment portfolio? First, step one is to acknowledge that there is some level of risk in all investments. Yes, even U.S. Treasuries have some risk, although I'd say it's probably tiny and minuscule when you compare that risk to a corporate bond or municipal bond somewhere else. Well, what if you bury $20,000 of your money in the backyard? There is risk even in your backyard. The termites might eat the Ben Franklins. They might like that nice cotton paper. Moisture could rot your money away. Or economic degradation can happen in the form of inflation. Inflation may cause prices to go up. And when you dig up that $20,000 you buried for a car you plan to buy in the year 2030, you find similar cars now cost $80,000. Thinking about other different classes of investments, stocks and bonds or index funds versus individual stocks or real estate investment trusts, etc., 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 these all have different risk profiles. And consider even alternative investments like baseball cards, art, muscle cars, or penny stocks. They all have their own unique risk profiles. Let's just focus today on simple ways to lower risk in equities and stock holdings. I use the term equities and stocks as synonyms, but think about it this way. Equity is essentially ownership of part of a company. Stock is short for stock certificate, that indicates how many shares you owned in a company. When I first began investing in companies in the late 80s, I literally received stock certificates in the mail. These stock certificates included the number of shares that I owned in the company, and they were actually really nice-looking documents. But then when I wanted to sell the stock, I had to send in the stock certificate and let's just say there was a lot more work involved than there needed to be. So later, all those stock investments were held in street names. Now it's probably a rare exception that someone actually holds a stock certificate. 
Well, enough on how crazy the investing process was in the old days. Let's get back to our example. Let's say you own four companies, Exxon, Procter & Gamble, Federal Express, and Amazon. How has the COVID-19 pandemic impacted each of these companies so far this year? Let's just say if you own the right three out of the four, you'd be thrilled. But you own them all. I don't need to rehash what has happened to Exxon this year, as we already went pretty deep on that one. But what about Procter & Gamble? There was a great story about P&G this weekend in the Wall Street Journal. It talked about all the strategic changes they've made since the very close proxy fight in 2017. Procter & Gamble restructured again after that proxy fight, but this time it was much more than semantics. Lots of changes were made to improve Procter & Gamble's ability to respond to market opportunities and improve the management accountability. They were also able to capitalize on some COVID-created demands for chemicals and cleaners to help us prevent the spread of the disease. This article goes deep on a specific new product called Microband 24, designed to repel bacteria for 24 hours. I don't have to remind anyone what the shelves look like in the grocery stores if you were looking for cleaning products or laundry detergent this past spring. P&G was rewarded for their response to the unfortunate need that we all had to increase our diligence in cleaning and fighting this unseen enemy. Were we prepared to pay a premium for P&G products compared to any generic or other store brands? Absolutely! It was our family's life at stake. Had Procter & Gamble not improved their ability to quickly respond to market needs and capitalize on those opportunities, their stock would likely not be at all-time highs. Pull up a long-term chart for Procter & Gamble and look at their beautiful march to the $140 level. It is painfully obvious to see what the right company with the right products in the right unique environment can accomplish. Now let's think about the other two companies, Federal Express and Amazon. They have been on fire as well. Think about all the demand that has come to shipping companies and internet-based retailers to allow us to minimize the contact and the need to leave home. These two companies have been rewarded in their valuations and would have been great stocks to own. Getting back to our own personal problem, which is that we own individual stock investments sprinkled in our portfolio that are down 50%, 80%, 95%, even 100%. It doesn't take many of these losers to offset the gains in market-performing investments or even those that are performing better than the market. I wanted to remove risk, but not give up exposure to the upside that equities could bring. One way to accomplish this was to sell individual stock investments and invest the proceeds in index funds. As each position was reduced or closed out completely, I purchased VTSAX or VTI ETF shares. They're virtually the same thing. One is simply a mutual fund, and the other one is an exchange-traded fund. Exchange-traded funds can be bought and sold during the trading day and are priced at that time as compared to mutual funds, which are priced at the market close price. The VTSAX fund holds stock investments in about 3,680 companies. Holding these shares provides a lot of diversification. There is one point, though, I want to make sure to note here. 
is that the holdings are weighted differently. The top five holdings in the VTSAX are Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, and Facebook. I'm combining both the Class A and Class C shares of Alphabet slash Google stocks here in my five company count. These five companies comprise about 19% of the fund. Each of these companies is trading at significantly higher valuation levels than they were at the beginning of 2020. Given their weighting, these companies have certainly helped to lift the VTSAX to levels much higher than pre-COVID level. Do I think it's a bad idea to own individual stocks? Well, it depends on your particular situation. My short answer for us is I prefer, given my age and how difficult it would be to replace financial assets for companies and investments that falter and lose significant value, in some cases at no fault of the company, but just due to the larger market conditions. We essentially have no paychecks coming in to buffer major losses on individual stocks. That's right, this podcast is just for you. It doesn't pay our bills, it's for the community, and it gives me great fulfillment to help you learn and become more confident in your own financial decisions. I digress. So back to uh, our age. In our mid-50s, knowing that new funds are not coming into our bank accounts like they were when I was in corporate America, I have a lower risk tolerance and very little desire to put our nest egg at risk. We still hold individual stocks. In fact, Procter & Gamble is one of the largest individual holdings we have, but it only makes up 1.5% of our total. It pales in comparison to the index fund weightings we hold. Another interesting point is that we hold five individual stocks out of the top 10 companies that make up the VTSAX. My goal is that we would hold no more than 10% of our total portfolio in individual companies. Slowly but surely, these individual stocks are being pared down and moved into index funds. Some of the older holdings that have doubled in value were contributed to a donor-advised fund for future gifts to charity. I'll have to carve out donor-advised funds for another episode. But if you're doing any tax planning, take a hard look at using a donor-advised fund. It can be funded easily with the appreciated stock assets in your portfolio, for which you can take a market value deduction as charitable contributions. Please, by all means, contact a certified tax expert if you're considering this strategy. Most CPAs that have tax practices can be very helpful. Both Fidelity and Vanguard offer these type of funds. I use Fidelity as they allow for smaller individual grants on the giving side of the equation. What's the takeaway for segment one? Consider two things. Are you overly exposed to one company, particularly even your employer stock? Is it appropriate to shift those holdings to an index or even a different investment class? Consider allocating 10% or less of your holdings to a speculation bucket. If you have a strong desire to chase individual stocks or investments, limit yourself to that portion. Think of this speculation money by asking yourself, if I lose all of this 10%, will it bother me or cause my goal of financial independence to be in jeopardy? This speculation fund gives you an opportunity to quench your thirst to invest in direct ownership of individual companies, companies that you know through their products or services or just plain want to buy. Back in the 90s, we bought AOL stock. 
We used the product and knew it was a game changer at the time. We held AOL through several stock splits, and our basis was only $2.50 a share. In 1999, when we moved into a new house, did we sell it when it was near its highs and put that money down on the new house? No way! What internet bubble? Yeah, while we still made several hundred percent on our gain, ultimately, had I sold it and put the proceeds down on the house, it would have been awesome. Instead, we saw $90 highs and wrote it down to $20. Unfortunately, this was not the last time I would learn this lesson. We're so close to one more concept, I want to share it here. Concentration in your investment portfolio in an individual company sometimes brings great rewards with performance that outpaces the market. Think about being an energy back when the hurricanes hit in New Orleans and Houston, and or actually it was East Texas, and the price of oil went to $140 a barrel. That same concentration also brings with it downside risk. Was oil going to stay at $140? Of course not. You know that. High risk can lead to high reward, or it can lead to high penalties, or even just market performance. There's only three ways it can work out. You'll either do better than the market, worse than the market, or you'll equal the market. Sometimes it pays to acknowledge the other half of the mantra. Sometimes high risk is rewarded. However, sometimes high risk is penalized. It goes both ways. Well, that's it for segment one. Let's move on to segment two with three listener questions. We have, as promised, a surprise guest in the studio. My youngest son came home for his birthday this weekend and has offered to read the listener questions. And here's the first one. How do I get traction in building up an emergency fund and investment account? It kind of seems like I'm just treading water. Excellent question. Remember our discussion on the gap? Plus income minus expenses equals the gap. That's the gap between what comes in and what goes out. These funds created by the gap are what you can save or invest, or even accumulate for a future planned large purchase. If you're having a tough time getting three to six months of your living expenses set aside and your income is fairly stable, the first place to look if you want to grow the gap is what you're doing with your money. Start by downloading your bank account, debit card, and credit card. These transactions can easily be analyzed in a spreadsheet program. One of the most popular, Phylighter.com Post 4.0, covers this process in item one of the seven steps you can take today on your path to FIRE. I'll put a link to that post in the show notes. Once you have a clear picture of where your money is going, and I would suggest, by the way, that you look at least at three months worth of transactions, you can begin to challenge your spending habits and figure out if there are obvious areas you can reduce allowing for a larger gap to fund your emergency fund or begin to contribute to investment accounts. The other option is to grow your income with a raise, a job change, or even just a little side hustle. Each of these will grow the gap and give you more cash at the end of the month to put toward your goals for emergency funds, large purchases, or investing. Now, all bets are off, however, if you increase your lifestyle every time your income goes up, wiping out any momentum you have to grow the gap. And now let's move on to the next listener question. 
I'm saving to hopefully retire early, but while I'm young, I feel like I'm missing many opportunities to make memories. Congratulations on owning the goal of early retirement. This is a great question and brings up the concept we discovered last episode related to opportunity cost. The pursuit of financial independence and even just life in general requires that we make choices. These choices may be easy or they may be difficult. I've got another quote I find myself repeating quite often in situations with my kids, and oftentimes it's in my head in various business, nonprofit, or church meetings, but I don't usually let it cross my lips. It goes like this, just because you can doesn't mean you should. After our careers took off, we could have bought a new car every year. Do you think we did that? Of course not. What about every three years? Nope. Nope. Again. How does this relate to the question? Well, these were choices. Choices each of us make that hopefully reflect what is most important to us. I'm a big fan of making memories. This was a frequent phrase back in my high school or college days. And any listeners from that time in my life remember us saying, make memories. It was like a rally cry. This listener has admirable goals that appear conflicted to be an early retiree and also to seize opportunities and make memories. The good news is you can achieve both early retirement and making memories along that yellow brick road. However, it does require compromises. The time to learn this is before you spend like crazy on lifestyle experiences with no regard to the debts you run up on a credit card. By setting aside funds in your budget for travel or pop-up opportunities, you can confidently say yes to making memories without a large credit card bill that is a reminder for months and months, or in some cases years, into the future that you were living beyond your means. And yet another saying comes to mind, having cash gives you options. That can apply to making memories just as much as making an opportunistic purchase. Set aside funds for your travel or other experiences. And when the time comes to spend them, do it with joy. You mark those funds for fun. Make it happen. A pursuit of financial independence does not preclude your enjoyment of happy times along the yellow brick road. Make some memories. Okay, our last question today. I'm getting my match on my office 401k and have some extra funds to invest, but may want to use some of it for a car purchase in the next few years. What should I do? This is great. It sounds like the listener is taking advantage of 401k matching to add to their deferred tax contributions. If you're fortunate enough to be working for an employer that is still matching contributions, consider it a blessing. Many employers remove this match benefit during the economic downturn. Hopefully, as the economy recovers, this benefit will be reinstated. I'm going to make the assumption here that you have no credit card debt and these are truly discretionary funds beyond any living expenses or other debt obligations you might have. If you have any credit card debt, by all means pay it off before you begin to invest elsewhere. The interest on credit card debt is near or above 20% in most cases. With high interest rates, you are guaranteeing ROI if you pay off that debt at least at the interest rate you save on the outstanding balance that was paid off. Where else are you going to get a guaranteed 20% return on any investments with little or no risk? Well, we're on that topic. If you've read many of the posts on the website, you know how I feel about debt, particularly credit card debt. I pretty much take a view that credit card debt is the devil of personal finance. 
It leads to relationship stress, financial stress. It inhibits the progress to accelerating your financial independence. If you can't pay off your credit card in full each month, it's time to figure out where you are living above your means and if you can do anything about it. I'm not talking about someone that has unexpected medical bills or carried a balance because the planets lined up and they had to buy two sets of tires in the same month, but paid off the balance three months later. I'm talking about saying yes to go on a trip with your friends for spring break of 2019 when we could all travel, and then paying interest for the past year and a half on charges for meals, hotels, and plane rides that are a distant memory. Living within your means is one of the great secrets to financial independence. Lifestyle creep, particularly if it creeps faster than your income, can be disastrous. Always have an awareness of this danger. Does that mean you can't move out of your apartment and buy a house when a baby is on the way? No, particularly if you set aside funds for the purchase and have means to do it while continuing to have a comfortable gap between your income and expenses. Enough on that. Let's move back to answering the question. Now, assuming you had no credit card debt, where should you invest if you require a little bit of liquidity and you want to make a car purchase in a few years? If you've not opened an account with Vanguard, Schwab, or Fidelity, now is a good time to consider opening one. I've mentioned before the book, The Simple Path to Wealth, this J.L. Collins book, which I think is one of the great ones for personal finance. I was on about page 100, and I just literally went online and opened a Vanguard account on the spot. Just yesterday, I opened a Fidelity account, and I'll tell you more about that later. These companies all have very low-cost or even no-cost investment platforms and provide easy research tools. If you only have small amounts of money to invest, you may consider ETFs, as some of the index mutual funds have minimum, say, $3,000 for the initial purchase. And then you can add small amounts after that point. Fidelity even has a product that allows you to buy fractional shares. So if you want to buy $100 worth of Amazon stock, you can do it without buying a full share, which is over $3,000 now. The competition on the online brokerage segment has led to zero commissions for most platforms. Once you have an account open, you can buy investments that are appropriate for the time horizon you need the money. There are money funds with very low yields, but also very low risk. Or you can buy equity funds, ETFs, or individual stocks. I would research ETFs such as BND, which on Vanguard's platform, that's a bond fund, a U.S. bond fund, or BNDX, which is an international bond fund, if you want a little bit of yield but less volatility than the equity type areas. Realize there is also interest rate risk that you might want to consider when you're buying bonds. That said, it may be best on a short horizon to accumulate your funds in a low-risk money fund where you will make a higher return than a bank savings account and also have the funds available for the car purchase with no exposure on the downside. If you know some of the money you have available can be committed to long-term investments, consider building a portfolio that includes the VTSAX or VTI ETF. Those are both Vanguard-related investments, but there are equivalents for them on the Fidelity or Schwab platforms as well. Good luck saving and investing for the purchase. Who knows, you may decide you get more joy out of growing your account than buying those fresh wheels in a few years. 
And now, before we wrap up, please remember our disclaimer. I want to remind each of our listeners that content in this podcast, including any show notes, links, or the Phylighter blog, or the Phylighter website, are entirely educational or entertainment in nature. You should seek certified professional for tax, investment, or legal advice. Phylighter or its creators accept no responsibility or liability for any actions or activities you may take based on anything discussed on the website, podcast, postings, or comments. Wow, what a great episode. Special thanks to our younger Phylighter for reading those questions. He even contributed one of them. I'll let you guess which question it was. What did we learn today? market goes up and down. And if you're not in, you can't win, at least on the long term. Diversification can lower your risk on your investment portfolio. This can be easily addressed by changes to the mix of investments, moving from stocks to bonds. But also within each category, say equities, you can reduce exposure to individual stocks and consider indexes or other diversified investments that will return market level results. Nothing better, nothing worse. Concentration in any one particular investment can bring rewards, but it does come with risks. One thing that stuck with me back in 2002 that I heard from a fellow new employee, her name was Mary. Mary had been employed at Enron, and she shared one tidbit with me that I kind of shrugged off. I would have been wise to heed her comment. You see, Mary had experienced concentration of stock in Enron, and her point was simply this. When you work for a company and also receive stock or options as part of your employment compensation, the minute you vest in those awards, you should sell them. You have enough risk just working there. Continuing to hold equity risk in your employer could lead to much worse outcomes than putting the value in other investments. Think about something like index funds instead of your company stock. Have you ever wondered when looking at insider trading activity why the directors and officers routinely sell their awards as they vest, it's probably not because they don't believe in the company. More than likely, they have too much at risk and want to be sure they preserve some of that compensation for their future needs in the event the market environment causes the business strategy to be less successful. Remember our example with Exxon? Now let's recap some of our takeaways on the listener questions. We learned about analyzing your current spending habits to identify areas that can be trimmed back or even eliminated to create room or a buffer, allowing you to grow the gap and set aside emergency funds, vacation resources, or even just start investing. The next question dealt with the perceived conflict that you'll miss out on making memories if you want to pursue early retirement. We explored this one and found you can do both. The key is finding a balance. Then the last question related to where we park funds or invest them as you prepare for a car purchase in a few years. We jumped the rails on this question, but I do want to expand a little bit more on this one particular topic. Opening an account with Fidelity, Schwab, or Vanguard is pretty easy. I personally opened a Fidelity account yesterday. I connected it to two bank accounts and this morning made several purchases, and at close tonight I'll be buying several of their mutual funds. I want to clear up some perceptions many people have around investing, and particularly online investing. Number one, 
you do not need a lot of money to open an account. Number two, it is simple to buy investments. You don't have to be an expert. You don't need an expert to tell you what to buy. With a little bit of self-education and experience, you can do it yourself. Number three, you don't need a complicated portfolio. Just a few investments in a few ETFs or mutual funds can provide the diversification and spread the risks in your portfolio and allow you to receive market-level performance and increases to your account value. Number four, you can easily automate investing in these platforms, making investments every week or every month or every quarter to where it becomes routine and automatic and begins to build and compound over time. I challenge you, whether you have a paid advisor or not, to open your own account and see how simple and liberating it feels to get control of your investments and build confidence in your abilities. If you have other investments, research them on these platforms and ask your advisor why they're the best suggestions for your portfolio. Remember, we just want to boost your confidence and competence in your path to financial independence and make early retirement a reality. Thanks again for being part of the Phylighter community. Keep the feedback coming. I love your creative ideas and constructive criticism. I'll be sure and include direct references to the blog post mentioned in the show notes, as well as any other content items we discussed. Many of you have asked, what can you do to help spread the Phylighter message? Here are three ways you can help. Number one. Share a link to the podcast with someone you think would benefit from this content. You probably know like-minded people that would enjoy the Phylighter life as much as you do. Number two, if you use Apple's podcast player, write a review. These are particularly helpful to the others exploring our podcasts and help the search algorithms place value on the Phylighter community. Number three, hit subscribe on whatever podcast player you're using. We want you to be the first to get the latest episodes when they're released. That's it. I would really appreciate it if you could do any or all three of these things. My goal is to highlight or highlight relevant information on each of your paths to financial independence. A wealth of information will benefit you, whether you're a millennial or young boomer. It may be only that you need to change your course heading just a few degrees to make early retirement a reality. We will continue to explore the issues and topics in front of young boomers as well as valuable lessons for the millennials to accelerate everyone's path to FI. Remember, mind the gap. Income plus. Expenses minus. The result is the gap. Grow the gap. Remember to subscribe wherever you enjoy the Phylighter podcast to receive new content as it's released. I look forward to your comments, feedback, and engagement with other Phylighters. You can also subscribe to the Phylighter Facebook page. Links are available in the show notes. I'm Lambo. Let's clear your path to financial independence. Make it happen. Grow the gap. This is Lambo, the Phylighter. If you're hungry for more, visit Phylighter.com. Buckle up, downshift, and dump the clutch. You are in for an accelerated ride into your financial future with Lambo, the Phi Lighter. Well, if you're still with us, uh, just wanted to apologize. Uh, around 2134, you heard an email bling on my computer and 
2432, you heard uh, my older dog, Charlie Brown, shake his collar. I'm sure many of you pet owners could uh, distinguish that one. Anyway, have a great weekend. This episode was recorded November 18th, 2020. Happy Thanksgiving!